0: Won't honor the contract? Fine. Hope you like hot pink duct tape. Many years ago, I was an elected union president at a Fortune 500 company, but I was only in charge of one contracted group. As such, the bargaining power of the main company was much higher than my own, but even they couldn't intervene too much. My group's contract switched from company A to company B in 2012, but the contract remained unchanged. Company B inherited all of the contract requirements of Company A and agreed to meet them, but opted to fight me on several minor clauses when it came down to it. Most were solved without much conflict, but the major sticking point was in regard to uniforms. Our contract ensured that we were given an allowance to pay for new uniforms and vouchers for steel-toe boots every year. When it came time for our new vouchers, they refused citing that they had given us a slight raise, which should offset the cost of the boots. I informed them that a cost-of-living raise didn't void the portion of the contract requiring them to provide vouchers for shoes. To which they responded, they just hadn't figured out how to provide vouchers yet. After assurances they would provide the vouchers as soon as they could work it out, I dropped the issue. Unsurprisingly, months later, they still hadn't provided vouchers for replacement shoes, It should be noted that this was a very large campus, and many of us walked several miles a day in these shoes, and the shoes were caked with chemicals and dirt and started to look pretty vile within a year. We had to wear the same work shoes in office areas, and we started to get complaints. I decided to lean into this. This is where the malicious compliance begins. No new shoes? Fine. I'll rig them up to last longer. I went out and bought several rolls of the flashiest and most obnoxious duct tape that I could find. I began to repair holes in my shoes with duct tape and extra fabric to the point that my hot pink shoes became easily recognizable. The safety team for the main company was so amused, they gifted me hot pink safety glasses and gloves to match. I also lent out my gaudy duct tape collection to any employee needing to upgrade their shoes. Suddenly, the complaints about our dirty shoes were replaced by complaints about obviously duct-taped shoes. Whenever we were asked, we would tell both union and non-union workers that it was a small protest against the refusal to honour the shoe vouchers in the contract. The next year rolls around, and still no shoe vouchers, but suddenly, our uniform allowance was increased around $150 to allow for new steel-toed shoes to be purchased.' After speaking to the union members, I agreed to allow that in place of the vouchers. I kept my duct tape collection permanently on display as a threat and would use it any time safety equipment wasn't being replaced and required repair. Promote me but won't bump up my hourly wage? Sure thing. I'll just use your rules to give myself a 50% pay bump. This happened in a company I worked at over a decade ago. I was a technician working on large machines, we had numerous clients, and were assigned to a given site. The site I worked on was across a border so I couldn't live near it, and had an hour commute each way every day. I got no expenses or mileage for this because it was my assigned site. After working for this company for a while, I got promoted to stop doing routine maintenance and work on more complex projects. Most of these projects were on a site near where I lived, so that suited me just fine. However, the company told me they didn't have any budget to increase my wage, which is where the malicious compliance came in. I combed through their rules and regs, as well as my contract, and found that if you had to travel to a site that was not your assigned one, you got paid as if you were driven from your assigned site to whatever one you were working on. My assigned site was classified as being one and a half hours from the site that I was doing most of my work on, so I was allowed to claim those one and a half hours as worked on my timesheet. So every day I would put down one and a half hour commute there, one and a half hours commute home and eight hours of regular work. Anything over eight hours worked a day was paid at overtime rates. So for those three hours commute, I was getting paid around four and a half hours. Because my contract said my assigned site was site A and I was mostly working at site B, there was nothing they could do about it, and my country has pretty decent employee protections, so I'd have had to agree to a contract change, which I obviously was not going to. They told me numerous times they were going to change my assigned site, but until the day I quit, they were never able to. The length of my commute most days was 10-15 to 15 minutes each way. You're going to assign me to make balloon animals at a site with no kids? Okay, I'll just do my job. Way back in the long, long ago, in the before times, mid-level chain restaurants would have these people walk around to make balloon animals for kids as they waited for their food. I was a teenager and needed money, so I did this for a while. The restaurant would pay this agency, and they would tell us what restaurant to go to and when. Key to this story is that we were not paid. On an average night, I'd make around 50 bucks in tips over three hours. On special nights, it could be as high as $200, but if there were no customers, I would make nothing. After working for several months, I must have fallen out of someone's favour, and I got assigned to a restaurant in the business district. I have no idea why they wanted someone making balloon animals there. The key audience was kids, and I never saw anyone under 30. The first night there I made five bucks, which wasn't even enough to cover mass transit to and from the location. After being assigned there twice in a row, I complained, but was told that if I didn't go, I'd be banned from any more assignments. Cue the malicious compliance. The next week when I was assigned there, which was the third time in a row, I waited until there were a couple guys at the bar that were tipsy. I go up and ask if they want balloon hats, no charge. They were hesitant, but I promised they'd be good. They agreed and I got to work. I broke out all of my skills to make these hats that were clearly people in a cage. The people were all pink and had prominent bubbles on the chest and derriere. An inflated balloon tied around the waist made for a bikini bottom and a carefully tied balloon in their hand made for a bikini top. They asked what it was and I told them a stripper in a cage they loved it. I got a $20 tip, but more importantly, they went to every person in the restaurant to show off their strippers and cages hats. They demanded to talk to the manager to tell him how awesome it was. The super uptight fundamentalist manager. Manager was majorly pissed and told me to go home early. Agency called, pissed off, but I used my most innocent voice to tell them that I was just making what the customer asked for, and I didn't know they'd make a scene. Agency said, well, they banned you from ever coming back. The next week, I was back at another $17 an hour location. And edit, yes, it was in the US. It was probably illegal to not pay me, but it was in the 90s. I was a teenager, I didn't know better, and I was happy enough with the money that I made most of the time. Won't approve my purchases? Okay, I can work with that. I was a one-man IT shop at a small manufacturer. I had been there for years. I was actually the third employee ever hired, and now the company was like 120 people. I was very frugal, but in smart ways. I got a lot done for little money and was always looking out for the company. The owner recognized and respected this. Anyhow, we had gotten big enough where I didn't report to the owner anymore, and I was assigned to report to an inexperienced accountant who got her degree from some sketchy online school. She was going to change the world. I used to be able to just buy anything I wanted because the owner knew whenever I asked for a company credit card that I had already done my homework and it would be good for the company. Well now, if anything was over 500 bucks, I had to go through this process with her to justify it. It wouldn't bug me, except that she had no real business savvy or common sense. It was just painful to me to try and explain the most obvious things to her and she would fight it just because of power tripping or something. For example, I was trying to justify having at least one computer loaded up and ready to go as a hot spare for when someone's broke. She balked at having $1,500 sitting on a shelf unused. I tried to explain that about once a month, someone's computer would break. All she could see was the $1,500 sitting unused most of the time. She couldn't understand the real cost of a broken computer, that the person could no longer do their job effectively. Parts not getting ordered, jobs not getting expedited, emails not getting returned, me having to drop everything to react to this situation, overnighting in parts. The true impact cost to the company was several hundreds of dollars every month. She couldn't see that having a spare would pay for itself in a half a year or so. After a half an hour of fighting over this, I had an epiphany. I handed her requisition approval forms to her and told her that she was right and I left. Any purchases under $500 didn't need any approval at all. Now, nothing I ever bought was over $500. I didn't buy a spare computer, I bought three, as parts, and assembled them into computers. Servers? Network storage? Why justify to a bean counter who wouldn't understand, anyways? Just buy more parts and assemble yourself. Dual monitors for everybody. Bought one at a time. <laughs> Bite me, Charmaine. Tell your boss you're quitting. This isn't my story, but my mother's. She died recently at the age of 89, and my sister and I were reminiscing. This is one of our favorite stories involving our mother. My brothers called her V because her first name begins with V, so I'll refer to her as V. This happened many years ago, about the time I graduated from high school. V had taken a job, her first since she and my dad got married, in a public kindergarten. Now, my dad was always a bit of a bully, especially towards my mother. My dad was not a nice person, and that's a whole story in itself. V had survived ovarian cancer at the age of 33, so she was probably about 38 to 39 when this happened, Now, my dad insisted that if she was going to hold down a job, she still had to do all her chores when she got home. Cooking, cleaning, laundry, etc. I can't remember exactly what prompted the argument about her chores, but something didn't get done that he expected, and he demanded that she do. He informed her that she would tell her boss that she was quitting when she went back to work the next day. Before he left for work the next day, he reminded her that she was to tell her boss that she was quitting. Q. Malicious compliance. I love my mum. She went to work that morning, stopped at her boss's office, and said these exact words My husband said to tell you that I was quitting, and then moseyed on to her classroom. A few minutes later, her very puzzled boss popped in and asked if she was serious. She said no, but my husband told me to tell you I was quitting, so I did. And no, she didn't quit her job until she was very good and ready several years later. I wanted to know more, and there is more to this story. In the comments, I thought she would tell her husband that she was quitting working for him. And OP says, she pretty much did after his second affair. She stayed with him for financial security. When he left her for the second affair partner, he left her destitute. For the first time in her life, she had to accept food stamps because she still had a child at home. He returned home in 1980, just dumped all his stuff in the living room floor, went to their bedroom, and moved right on in. She dumped his stuff in the bedroom and moved to the living room couch. That's where she lived until she died. She never spent another night in their bedroom. Holy crap, he sounds like a monster. There were five kids, three boys and two girls. I'm the oldest. He told me many years ago that I was the only one of his kids that he was absolutely 100% certain was his. He accused my mother of cheating on him and claimed that my siblings were the product of her affairs, all different fathers. He even told me who the fathers of my siblings were. My mother never, ever cheated on him and never would. I eventually told my grandmother, his mother, what he'd said. She had agreed with me that my mother would never cheat on him. I don't know whether my grandmother ever confronted him, but he never mentioned it to me again. I did tell my mother what he was saying, though. She laughed and said that she'd been hearing that BS for years from him. Sounds like a pretty common abuse tactic. Sorry to hear, OP. Spent all night swapping parts just because that's what they wanted. Early noughties, working at a now-defunct airline. Airplane came in for overnight work with an inoperative boost pump. These were new airplanes, which were also a new type to the company. I had this problem before, so I had a hunch that it was a bad relay. Pull the wiring prints and find where the other relay with the same part number is, and proceed to swap the suspect relay with a known good one. The problem followed the bad relay, so in less than 10 minutes I knew what the fix would be. Order up new relays from the stores. Now the supervisor comes around and says maintenance control want the boost pump swapped for troubleshooting. I played my case, telling him that it's fixed as soon as the new relay arrives. Said he wanted them swapped anyway. I get paid by the hour, so whatever. I swap the pumps around, and the problem is still there. Now since serial numbers are tracked on where they are installed on the aircraft, I swap both pumps back to their original positions. Go in and tell the supervisor the problem wasn't fixed and grab the relay that I ordered earlier. Replace the relay and all ops checks are good. As I'm walking back into the office to sign it off, supervisor meets me walking through the hangar with the exact same wiring print that I had printed up earlier and wants me to take a look at the exact relay that I just replaced because MX Control thinks that it might be the issue. TLDR, I spent a 10 hour shift doing a 10 minute job. Lunch is only an hour? No problem. So I work at a relatively small organisation, 60-ish employees in an office environment. I don't work as a cashier, but my office is next to the cashier's desk. Over the past few months, I have been dropping off the bank deposit during my lunch break because the cashiers have been too busy to take it during work hours. This is purely a courtesy to the cashiers and is not required of my job in any way. But I like to help my co-workers when I can. The bank is about 10 minutes away from the office, and I'm going to pass it on the way to food anyways, so no big deal. It usually takes about 10-15 minutes at the bank depending on how busy they are, so I account for that and extend my lunch break accordingly. This went on fine for a few weeks, until my boss decided that I was taking too long on my lunch breaks and reminded me that I should not be taking more than an hour. I explained that I was taking the bank deposit as a courtesy, but I may as well have said nothing because I was once again reminded that I have one hour for lunch. I told my boss no problem. I would make sure that I'm back on time moving forward. Cue malicious compliance. Ever since that conversation, my lunch has been exactly one hour. As soon as I get back to the office, I get a company vehicle and take the bank deposit on company time. Now, instead of just paying me for the around 15 minutes that I'm at the bank, they are paying that plus 20 minutes drive time, and I'm putting unnecessary wear on a company vehicle. It also takes about 5 minutes each day to check out and return the keys to the vehicle. My boss asked where I'd been the first day, and when I explained, she just said okay. I get the feeling she is too proud to admit it was simpler when I was just taking it on my way to lunch, but I'm fine with the extended break. TLDR, I am now away from my desk an extra 25 minutes each day on company time because my boss said that I took too long at lunch to drop off the bank deposit. Alright guys, that's where I am going to sign off for the day. I hope you did enjoy these stories today. If you did, let me know down in the comments below, subscribe if you haven't already, and have a good day. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.